Hi, and welcome to this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast with your hosts. I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. Well, we made it through the longest NFL season to date. Great year, competitive year. A lot of great moments throughout the year. Shai, today we'll be focusing, obviously, on the big game, the Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams, your NFL 2021-2022 world champions. Yeah, I mean, it's been such an amazing season. Uh, It's the longest season ever, uh, but it's felt like, you know, one of the shortest, uh, at least for me. Every, Every season, really goes by in a blink of an eye, right? It feels like that month of August almost feels longer than the entire NFL season. So we're going to break down all the big plays in the Super Bowl, all the big players who had, who really made their impact felt, the turning points in this game. So, Shy, let's get right into it because it's game time. So, Shy. I kind of maybe want to start off with some turning points as I guess I I can start. For me, the biggest turning point in this game was, you know, Bengals, they get the huge touchdown to T. Higgins. Then, really the next play, I believe, it goes off Van Jefferson's hands. It's an interception. Bengals are really looking to kind of grab the ball by the horns and really take firm control of this game. Right at that point, they were already up, I believe, seventeen thirteen, potentially trying to go up twenty four to thirteen, and Aaron Donald had two big sacks. And I think the one people remember is his third down sack, where he really drove, he really drove into Burrow. You know, great technique, all of that. But for me, it was the play he barely got credit for, in terms of in the stat sheet. And that was, you know, play kind of broken down. Burrow was just trying to run out of bounds, and Donald does a little shove. He ends up getting credit for, like, a one-yard sack. And, you know, that wasn't, for me, that wasn't even the biggest part of it. It was the Bengals' offensive line kind of took offense to Donald's little shove, and they got into a little scuffle, the Rams' defensive line and the Bengals' offensive line. And up until that point, and look, you can feel free to disagree, I actually thought the Bengals had done a very good job, at least given at least the expectation, given what we thought coming into this game and the expectations we put on them. I thought they did a pretty solid job limiting Aaron Donald up until that point, limiting some of this ferocious pass rush by the Rams. And it really felt like that scuffle kind of poked the bear and woke that entire Rams defense up. Because from that point on, every play, Burrow was under constant duress, constant pressure, whether it was Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, even Sean Robinson, who really made a few really good plays, both in the passing game and running game. That play really, to me, felt like the tide started to turn. And then once they did force the Bengals to kick a field goal, it really seemed like the Rams defense had fully woken up and and was ready to do their part in terms of helping the Rams, you know, claim that first Super Bowl since, you know, since 99 when Kurt Warner led them to their first ever title. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that was a a phenomenal uh, play and a phenomenal turning point in this game. And I would say, one, 
the Bengals' offensive line should have been flagged for that. I, I think it was pretty clear that Donald's play there was legal. And I'm, I don't think there were, and I understand what you're saying, and there weren't punches thrown. You put, he put a, uh, Quinn in Spain, I think, put a, threw a hand at Donald's face right. mask, made contact, and that should be an automatic flag. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, Aaron Donald kind of stayed in there, you know, wasn't too, he didn't, didn't seem too, uh, you know, wowed up in the moment. But then obviously you get to later I, in the game, you really see the, the Rams defense bidding their ears back and putting pressure on Joe Burrow. It was and, like a controlled frustration, right? He didn't let the moment get too big in terms of acting out. Or him and, maybe, even though you often see the guy who started doesn't get flagged, but the guy who retaliates well, that's, does. That's what you I'm can't saying. make that he, play in the he, Super Bowl. A controlled frustration. He didn't do anything stupid. He didn't com- commit a dumb penalty that really could put his team in harm's way. But it will come up almost internally that he said, okay, essentially you want to fight, let's fight. But he kept the fight toward to you know in between the white lines and letting his play do the talking, right? And I also think you won big turning point. But I also you know I'm gonna kind of say that's a little bit of coincidence that the tide started turning then too, because you think of the really the, the the vocal point in this game, which I think a lot of people kind of overlook, is the Cincinnati, uh, or rather the 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 Rams. You know, it's it's it was about controlling the trenches, and at that point in time, they were able to control what Cincinnati was doing on the ground and kind of level the playing field, because you know Cam Akers and that Rams offensive line was not moving, you know, the Bengals at that point of attack, and they had to really be able to step up, stop Joe Mixon in that running game. And I think once they were firmly were able to do that and put the pressure on Joe Burrow to be able to pin their ears back and, and really go, that's when I think it all really came together for this Rams defense. And I'll point out, you know, lastly, all night, even from the first, you know, couple snaps, Joe Burrow seemed not quite like his usual self. Don't call me a hater. I think the pressure... Seemed to be getting to him at times. The zip on that ball, he looked a little. It looked a little too hot in moments. It looked a little bit like the placement wasn't quite there. And I think those little things they happen in the Super Bowl, even to a guy of Joe Burrow's magnitude. You can disagree, Alex, but that's what I saw going up in this game. I don't think he didn't play his best game. He by no means played a perfect game. And I do see what you're saying, where he did seem a little off at times. With that being said, it almost I kind of feel like he had some of those moments against the Titans. He did not play a great game against Tennessee. I thought against the Chiefs, especially in the first half, did not play his best football. So I thought moments throughout the playoffs, and even against the Raiders, they got off to that great start and kind of allowed Las Vegas to stick around and almost complete a comeback. I kind of felt like in each game there were moments of mediocre play from Burrow. And I just thought the Super Bowl kind of followed that pattern. It was just they were playing a better offense and really a more clutch offense. I think that's right. When you talk about a play like the Titans, it's really hard to play good football when you're being hit as many times as he was in that he game. He was getting hit and just I as much again, especially in the second half. I don't, you look at the I, second, second half. half, maybe, but I still think that Titans game, He, I thought he really played a phenomenal game, being able a, to 
to step up in the pocket and still have the confidence the fire throws in there. The difference here is when he was able to have that time to throw and had a clean pocket, the ball, you know, it came off hot, it was placed a little bit behind, a little too far in front. The connection didn't seem to be there. Those receivers, he seemed to be getting the ball out a little bit early, um, as if not really, you know, I guess you are going up against this phenomenal, really, really good uh, Rams defensive front, and you probably know that go again. You prepare against 99 Aaron Donald, you know, how you're going to deal with him. But I think in the moment, in the Super Bowl, this kid is still, what is he, 23, Alex? I think he's older because, like, 24? He might be even 25 because I think okay. he even came into the league at 24. I remember he was more, he was regarded as old for a rookie, so he might even be 25. I mean, he's old. He's 25. <laughs> yeah, I... I I think I think we kind of take for granted sometimes, you know, the experience that that goes into the, the game and, and the nerves. And I think um as good as Joe Burrow has been, I think that was an aspect of why the Bengals came up short. Yeah, I again I don't think Burrow played his best game by any means. I'm not gonna argue you on that, disagree with you on that, but again, even throughout these playoffs I think Burrow has played better games in the regular season than compared to some of these other postseason games. So I don't think I don't think that's like the number reason why the Bengals lost. As I said, I really go, you think it was a coincidence. I personally don't. I don't think it was a coincidence that on that little one yard shove from Aaron Donald, that's where I don't know the if tide started to turn. I think it it turns there. But I think it was maybe that moment combined with the overall, the course of the game, the way it was going. As the game wears on, these things kind of come together, um, you know, especially with, with those with the defense and being able to kind of lock down the trenches and say, no, you're not going to run on us anymore. I mean, Joe Mixon didn't have this great game No, he overall. did, not from the start. Um, but, you know, look at the defense being played on the other side by Cincinnati, when there was nowhere to go for Cam Akers. And that front seven really did show up, which I think kind of translate, you know, transitions us to talking about Matthew Stafford because I know everyone's saying, you know, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. And I know it's an unpopular opinion, and Shy, you are probably going to disagree with me a lot on this. I think Stafford should have won the MVP. And I know you completely disagree, and... You're making faces like, what is this guy talking about? But the rant, and I, you could say, well, they don't win. Eli without. Apple should have won the MVP, I think, actually. I know. <laughs> I'm we'll, just we'll get, I, I want to get to that play later because I think that was, you know, I'm a big fan of Lou Anarumo, their defensive coordinator, but I do want to talk about that, some of those plays to cup, especially down the goal line. I want to talk about that in a bit. Matthew Stafford was playing with essentially no running game the whole game. His number two receiver was... Keep in mind, yes, Robert Woods hasn't played in a while, so you obviously know Robert Woods. You're game planning for two weeks with the idea that for 60 minutes, and maybe even overtime, but for a 60-minute football game, you were going to have both Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. out there. That is the game plan. And for... Obviously, they you know Odell scores a touchdown. They do have him for about a quarter plus, but for about two and a half quarters, 
the Rams did not, Matthew Stafford did not have his number two wide receiver. He didn't have his number one tight end either. So Matthew Stafford was really, I, I know they had Cooper Cup, but Matthew Stafford was really not playing with the amount of weapons he thought going so into I the game. That he was game planning, that he, I mean, again, the whole game plan, especially for Stafford, was centering around probably a better running game and having both, both of your top receivers out there. I thought the gut and plus keep keep in mind I know you know we didn't really say it out loud but we kind of touched on it that Burrow had a knee injury late in the game. Remember Matthew Stafford had his own ankle injury and at that time he was losing he had no running game and he had to really in my mind put forth a heroic effort and a heroic quarter heroic drive to get the job done and that's exactly what he did. The Rams don't come in my mind the Rams fall. Well short without Matthew Stafford. I think you're right. They also fell well short without Cooper Cup. I'll say this. Are you saying Matthew Stafford should have won because of the injury to Odell Beckham Jr.? Or are you saying because, you know, the Bengals defense and Lou Anarumo didn't didn't play Cooper Cup the right way? They didn't double him as much, so therefore it was easier for Cup to get open. He shouldn't get as much credit not, as he deserves, and not, Matt Stafford should, should take that, it. That wasn't about Cup. That was more of, I have complaints about the Bengals' defensive scheme at the end, and something I want to get to later. What I'm seeing with Matthew Stafford is he did not, especially with how they game plan, because you have a game plan, you have scripted plays, by, not ha- by really having a non-existent running game... And then having one of your two top weapons get injured while you're also while you're already dealing with some other key weapons to your receiving core, that makes the situation on a quarterback so much more difficult. As now you have to you have to improvise improvise more. A lot of your game plan kind of needs to get thrown out the window. And oh yeah, you also are now dealing with a bad ankle, and you know you're losing. And you need it. and with a missed extra point, you had you would have a touchdown drive, which he did. He also led you know multiple touchdown drives. I just thought I mean we talk about you know the whole you know with Jared Goff, right? We talked about the Rams need to win this game if the Matthew Stafford trade is gonna work out. Sunday night in the Super Bowl showed the exact reason why Sean McVay, Les Need and Los Angeles Rams went all in for Matthew Stafford. I I agree with that. I think Matthew Stafford was worth the buy. He was worth the the get, and there should be credit given to both the coaching staff and him for delivering. However, that's the expectation. The expectation isn't that Cooper Cup is the best receiver in the league going into this season. This season, but the reason isn't that the Cooper Cup single handedly is going to just constantly get open through double teams and be Matthew Stafford's guy the whole way. I mean, that's essentially what happened. That, but going into that game, that actually was the expectation. He was perceived, especially going into the game, as the number one receiver in the NFL. He was thought of as the heavy, you know, he can be all kinds of defenses because he has all year. He had he had a great performance, especially on that last drive. But I thought, especially when you look at, you know, Matthew Stafford, everything he was dealing with, really how... You know, the pressure that he really hasn't had to deal with, and with everything on the line in that one drive, I, he put the he put balls where only Cooper Cup could get them, and he put Cooper he also put Cooper Cup in a position to have much success. I think if 
I think I see your point. I don't think it's that far-fetched. I just think the credit, the, the most of the credit, or at least over 50%, enough to get gain the Super Bowl MVP, needs to go to the receiver in that situation. You're the only guy out there. You are the, essentially the offense. And but your quarterback's, your quarterback's the, getting near the ball to you. He's forcing you the ball. you got to still make those plays time after time again. And I, Matthew I, Stafford wasn't just throwing it up to Cooper Cup. It's not like he was just forcing it to Cup even in... He made some nice throws. Made some tight nice window th- throws. But at the end of the day, if you don't have Cooper Cup there, it doesn't matter. Was there any one play where you said that play was all Cooper Cup? No, but you certainly can't say, oh, that's Matthew Stafford. I think it's- you definitely can. That, at- oh, so it's Cooper, Cooper Cup getting open through, you know, being really... The Bengals, you know, maybe they weren't doing as good enough job as they should. Maybe this goes into part of your argument. But even still, the Bengals are zeroing in on him, and he's the guy getting open. He's the guy making the plays. And you, you look at the what people are saying, you know, the no-look throw. And I saw it from the... It was a great angle where Cooper Cup's about to cross over in the middle... And Von Bell is right there in in the throwing lane. And Matthew Stafford, the way he manipulated Von Bell with his eyes, looking one way, throwing across the middle of the cup, you know, in a different direction. If he doesn't do that, Von Bell can definitely make a play on the ball and Cooper Cup isn't open. So by Matthew Stafford using his eyes, manipulating the throwing lane. I know, but okay, so you want to say there's one play. Was there one play where... Matthew Stafford, you know, really got bailed out by Cup, or Cup made the whole play happen. He, you're you're talking about a quarterback throwing to a receiver who's getting open through double teams. At that same, has that has but some to of be. That, but some of getting open has to do with how Stafford's manipulating the opposing defense and putting it in a spot where only his guy At can the make end a play. Of the day, if he's not in the position to catch the football. Stafford can't do anything about but it. But Stafford helped put him in that position. Okay, she sh- you you shouldn't be you shouldn't be given the the Super Bowl MVP for doing your job. So then why give it to Cup? He because, did his job. Okay, no, no, his, his job, job is to get open. No, his, no, his, his job is to job, get open and make it and make the play. That's his, his as job. a rece- as a number one receiver. Your job is to get open. Expected to beat double teams every single time with no help around you and be the only option. For your offense, and to still be, to still power your offense to, through, you know, the biggest game against a Super Bowl, a defense that's in the Super Bowl, it's got to go to the wide receiver in that situation. I'm sorry, you know, if we're talking about Tom Brady here, it's the same instant. Doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. The throws that Matt Stafford made were very good throws, but I think unless you're talking about you know, really stupendous things that are that you say, "Oh my goodness!" Time after time again, he he could not have made this catch without the throw. You know, then then I see your point, but I just don't think it's that overwhelming. And we can agree or disagree. I don't think what you're saying is like you know unworldly. I just I just think in this situation, it's got to go to the receiver and cup. And by the way, I know I'm in the minority. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Most people would say, give it to Donald, give it to Cup. And I don't have a huge problem with it going to Cup. It, this isn't an anti-Cup argument. I just think for, especially, you look at the fourth quarter with what Matthew Stafford did, throwing really with a bad ankle, you know, can't exactly maybe plant all the way, you know, get, you know, 
go through the whole motion. I mean, he's, I mean, we just saw him limping off that field. For him to orchestrate the drive that he did and put his team, you know, in that and put help his put help put his receivers in the position to make plays like he did. I just thought it was such a gutsy, gutsy effort. And you look back. That is the exact reason why they trade for Stafford because we can disagree on who won it, on who should have won MVP. But I think one thing we can all agree on is they do not win that game with Jared Goff under center. I mean, yeah, I think most people in the world would agree with that statement. Right. Yes, I just think you know we talk about what does this mean for Stafford's legacy. I just feel like we just haven't really he flat can do out. It. We just haven't flat out said it that. The exact reason why they made that trade is for the exact situation Here's they were in Sunday stat. night. Matt Stafford and Aaron Rodgers had the same amount of Super Bowls. Super Bowl rings. Right. So just just think about that for a second. Take a moment. They were in the same division for years, and Rodgers pretty much owned him. Now, mainly because of... Was it, was it Stafford's fault? Well, no, I was going to say a big reason why is probably because of some of the teams they were Stafford on. Stafford goes to a, you know, a team like the competitive edge once... Rodgers been there his whole career. Right. Now, now this is not an, an anti Aaron Rodgers. I'm just saying, let's give, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopping on the bandwagon a little bit to give Stafford, you know, some of that due credit, you know, especially in that conversation about what's his legacy going to be. We, how does he stack up against some of these phenomenal quarterbacks, especially the younger ones? Yeah. Um, I don't th- It's obviously not all season. Stafford's fault. I think right now you do give, in terms of who has had the better career or whatever, you have to give it to Rodgers sure. just because I, I believe sure. he's been to four NFC Championship games. He almost never has a losing record. I agree. So, But it's definitely an interesting argument, especially if I assume Stafford's going to sign an extension uh, this well, offseason. I have to think so, yeah. Where now he's probably potentially finishing his career with L.A., where maybe when it's all said and done, he's with L.A. for five, six seasons and if they're consistently winning a division that we expect to be difficult, even if maybe the Seahawks aren't as good or we'll see what the Cardinals become with Kyler Murray, I expect the Niners to continue to be good, although we'll see with Trey Lance as well. So there are questions in that division, but I do expect it to be a competitive division. If the Rams can win that division, get to a you know another NFC Championship game or two, or even potentially win a Super Bowl, another Super Bowl, or make another Super Bowl in an NFC shy that... It's just not as strong as the AFC. No, it's not. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. You're talking, you know, the last couple of years, how the NFC was such the, the deep conference. And, you know, that's how I think, I feel like it's almost how it's been for the majority of my fanhood during our, our time. And it's kind of nice to see the AFC kind of take back some of that depth. And I know because it's a lot of these young quarterbacks who are, you know, stars like Lamar Jackson, who wasn't even in the playoffs. This year, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, of course, Josh Allen. And, you know, then you talk about some of these teams, you know, like the Titans, you know, organizations like the Steelers that are going to be hanging around. And it's the the AFC looks deeper. The Colts, for example, and the NFC just doesn't have the kind of those star studded, you know, young quarterbacks, young playmakers and young coaches right now. Well, even the top quarterbacks, what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? I, I think he's going to return to Green Bay. I mean, I don't, I'm not getting inside information. If I were to make a prediction right now, I think he's going to return to Green Bay. But I think no one's saying it's 100%. So 
Could he potentially go to the AFC? Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC. Is he on the move, though? It, a, is he on the move? B, if, he's, if he stays in Seattle, with, that, with how that team is built and constructed, even with Russell Wilson, I don't think of him as a, as a Super Bowl, con- as a Super Bowl contender. Can they make the playoffs if Wilson stays healthy? Sure, because I think Wilson still has that type of play in him, but I don't see them as a potential Super Bowl threat, at least right now. You look at Kyler Murray, a top young quarterback. The Cardinals are known for now these second-half collapses. Do they have the right leadership in place, whether that's on the field or off the field, from a coaching standpoint as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do Are they, are they well-built to go on a playoff run? I don't think so. You know, who, I, as I kind of said, who is Trey Lance? We don't, you know, we don't know who Trey Lance is. I think the Niners have a lot of talent and a talent to make a run. And if Trey, if Trey, if the Niners develop Trey Lance right and Trey Lance can be, can live up to his potential, they potentially could be a top contender for the NFC. But we just don't know how Trey Lance will translate to the NFL level, especially early in his career. So I'm not going to say the NFC is the Rams to lose. I'm not going to say this is a conference the Rams will run for years and years and years because it's the NFL. Whenever we think a team's going to you know, be a dynasty or go on a two to three Super Bowl streak, sometimes they never get back. I mean, you know, look at Dan Marino and the Dolphins. And we'll talk about the Bengals as well. But kind of going back to the Rams, there's a path here for both LA and Stafford to you know, have multiple runs at a potential Super Bowl where Stafford's really cementing his legacy and, you know, further rising up those quarterback rankings. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting conversation moving in to next season, you know, with with both of these quarterbacks. We know Joe Burrow's still going to be there, even in a competitive AFC. Let's get into, you know, the game now. We talked a little bit about Cooper Cup. What what did you make of, you know, Odo Beckham Jr.'s performance? You know, just kind of recapping, you know, what he's done, not only for this Rams team this season, in that game. And how much of, you know, do you think if Odo Beckham Jr. doesn't play in this game? Not even, I know he was only there for the first half or so. But if he doesn't play in this game, even that first half, do, you, do the Rams still win? I don't know. And I think it's it's tough to say yes or no because I think especially if he's not playing, the game plan's different. So uh, we we don't know how the game would have turned out. It's definitely a much more difficult challenge because the reason why they built out that early lead was because of obviously Odell caught the touchdown, but even when they went to cut for the touchdown, just there was so much more attention that had to be that had to go to Odell, leaving Cup more open, leaving guys like Van Jefferson. Basically, guys that you know could make more plays because Odell was on the field. So, I think Od he's found a home in LA, and he's found kind of the right quarterback, the quarterback that he's looking for. You know, with Stafford, I think Stafford's the right mix of he's a veteran, so he's not really learning the position, but he's not on you know in the last in the twilight of his career. So, has mul- at least in my mind, multiple good years left of football of you know top five top ten quarterback football and I think that's kind of probably what's something you know when Eli was with Odell Eli was kind of probably in the last few years he was forced feeding Odell 
Baker was a really young quarterback who was still making some mistakes. So I think Stafford's probably that right blend of, you know, veteran leadership guy, knows how to play the position, but he also still has, you know, some really, really good years left in him that I think can really, really help Odell. And I think, again, Beckham, I think, has matured tremendously because when he was with the Giants, I know we like to say how much was it him, how much was it with the Giants – we can say it was both, but Odell definitely played a part in how that ugly departure went. And I just think, you know, obviously it didn't work in Cleveland, but I think looking these over these last few weeks with the Rams, it, and I think he even really admitted that he's come a long way and he's matured uh, to the point where, you know, he can kind of step back and let Cooper Cup, let Matthew Stafford take the leadership roles, and he can kind of obviously contribute in a big way, but at the same time, not not need to be the spotlight player that maybe he wanted to be in New York and even Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think all that's absolutely right. And I took the thing about that touchdown catch, and I think that's a really it's a hard catch. It's an, it's an impressive catch, and I don't know how many other receivers make that catch um, in, in the league. I mean, obviously, you know, the top guys can. But I think, you know, as you said, Odo Beckham Jr. still you know, can be a high-quality secondary receiver, wide receiver two in this league. And I think if he doesn't play this first half, I'm kind of struggling to see if the Rams pull it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the game plan is different. The way sure. the Rams attack things But even assuming, like, he gets injured the first snap or something. First snap, right. And obviously, that's different. That's different, too. Sure, yeah. It's a lot different than does he even play in this game versus does he get injured earlier? Because obviously the Rams are planning for Odell to be healthy the whole game. Obviously you can plan for injuries, but when you're really designing scheme, designing X's and O's, you're really doing it with the mind with you know the mindset that we're gonna have Cup out there for all four quarters. We're gonna have Beckham sure. out there for all four quarters and just have have those weapons there. Uh, so Shai, let's get into that last. No, I don't want not the last play, but the touchdown to Cooper Cup. As I know, it's kind of a goal line formation. You're trying to stop the run, I guess. You don't want an easy run, run <clears throat> kind of rushing touchdown up the middle. And I know sometimes it's tough to double cover a guy when there's one yard separating between the field of play and the end zone. But with no Odell out there, and even a no Tyler Higby, and the way your you know, kind of front floor has been able to stop the run to that point, I was really surprised that even at the goal line, Lou Anarumo and company, the Bengals defense, left Cooper Cup one-on-one. With Eli Apple. With Eli Apple, but, I mean, look, Chidobi Awuzie, he was banged up even. But, you know, he's had a solid year. So has Mike Hilton. But the Bengals don't have, like, a shutdown corner. Or at least a guy who can go up against Cooper Cup, who was this year the best receiver in the NFL, hands down. Although they have been able to deal with teams like the Chiefs and, you know, some of these other teams with great receiving cores. But even we saw They work well as a unit, is what I'm saying. They work well as a unit, but everybody in that stadium knew. The ball, is, going the ball was going to Cooper Cup, but there was some fade route, you know, kind of like a quick slant, whatever it was. Everybody in the stadium, everybody walk, watching. I think I saw there was 112 million people watching the Super Bowl. I think all 112 million said this ball is going to Cooper Cup. 
And, you know, we can, obviously, I know a lot of people are making fun of Eli Apple, and, you know, we could, you know, say all those jokes or whatever, but it really surprises me, like, how could you, when everybody knew this ball was going to Cooper Cup, I know there's less field to work with, but still, how can you leave him one-on-one? I agree. I think you, what you do is just shade Jesse Bates there, and you have Eli Apple play jam out. Him. I think almost jam, jam him, him. Play outside leverage, and you have Bates there in case he runs a slant. And look, if you're the Bengals, I get it. There's there's one yard, but you've stopped. You've got to bet on the fact that in this situation, you've stopped Cam Akers all day. The Rams have had no running room. You're you still have an eight or nine man box. And even worse comes to worse, they do score on the run. You still have a lot of time. I mean, and I guess this could go against the whole doubling Cooper Cup point. But even if he does score, a at least you went down by not allowing the the opponent's best player to beat you. And b if he scores on the first play, there is still time for you to score yourself. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Which well, what, well, let's say, let's say Alex, they run the ball and they stop, and they get stopped. They collapse running. First of all, I think since he had, I believe since he had maybe two or three timeouts. I think two, yeah. So you can always take a timeout there if you're sure. the Bengals. If, you know, if you, you probably want to conserve them, but yeah. You probably, especially because that was, I believe, first down. Uh, but you do have timeouts there, so if you do sure. want to take a timeout, uh, you can. Uh, at the I same agree with you, though. At you the play same to time, win. I, I think you still play to win. You still try to get the stops, but in my mind, I'd rather Cam Akers beat us than Cooper Cup. And that's no offense against K-Makers, but well, I think K-Makers <laughs> is a very good player, and he's a very good running back, and him coming off he the... struggled Ach- this postseason. Him coming off the Achilles injury... Remember, though, this he hadn't played due to Achilles injury he suffered in the offseason. That's right. So yeah. he was also... And against the Cardinals, he looked great, and even against Tampa, he looked good except for, you know... Some, no, I wouldn't say he looked he good. He looked good except for... He almost for, lost in the game. He looked good except for the two fumbles, which I know is a Which big, is unexcusable right. for an NFL running back. Yes, but getting back to the Super Bowl, Coop or Cam Akers is a very good running back, but you know you look at I know it I know it didn't work for Bill Belichick, but you look at when they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. There's the whole there's the whole uh, make them go to make them go to Manningham, make them go to Pasco. This is still a Cruise and Knicks game, and basically said we're, if we lose this game, we're going to let their secondary receivers beat us. And I just thought that's what. The Bengals should have done. Make you know, take Cooper Cup out of the game. Make them run the ball. Make their secondary game plan work. We are not going down by letting Cooper Cup beat us. And I just thought to, it was when I saw them line up. I thought this is going to be some fade route or quick slant to Cup. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I think we both agree there. You know. Not not the best game planning from uh, Louis Amarillo's defense, but I think you still give him a lot of credit for having that defense prepared to this point. Especially, you know, they got the step one done. They stopped the run. And that's what I, what I was saying on the last podcast. You, if you don't stop the run, none of it else really matters because you're not able to dedicate those resources. Rams are one of the best play-action pass teams sure. in the NFL. So stopping the run definitely... I think was a reason why they were able to they were able to limit this Rams offense uh, for a good chunk of the game, but obviously the Rams finally got theirs. I also want to talk about a, a sequence that I don't think we're getting that I don't think isn't getting enough attention. 
Bengals first possession. They have the ball at midfield. Fourth down. They decide to go for it. You know, obviously an aggressive decision. They passed. And, it, you know, it was a pass play, not a running play. And it was an incomplete pass. Nice play by Ernest Jones. Over was it a middle. good throw by Joe Burrow? Was that a good decision? I think his... You look because at it... Maybe I'm thinking... Maybe is it? Maybe I'm thinking of a different play. And this is a couple of times this game. It seemed like Joe Burrow wasn't seeing the check down. And I feel like... I well, don't so, know if this is the exact play, but I think he had some on JP wine wide open for the first well, down. The, the funny did thing not was, throw it to him. Ernest Jones was actually running across the field to go cover P. Ryan. And it's almost like Burrow didn't see Ernest Jones running that way. So he threw it, and Jones obviously made a nice play. The bigger, but he, the, the ball wasn't intended for P. Ryan, I don't believe. No, it wasn't. So it just was a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> that was a complete where either he should have gotten the ball. Well, he should have thrown it to P. Ryan. P. Ryan yeah. Or let Ernest Jones, if he saw him, clear the way and get it to, I believe he may have been targeting Chase on that play. But anyway... All of a sudden now, Rams get the ball right at midfield, drive down, score the touchdown, go up 7 to nothing. as the Rams, you know, they got sacked on their first possession, didn't generate much offense, and, you know, Sintu was like, okay, we built some confidence in our defense, we got to stop. Rams then, even though obviously, you know, they didn't have this huge offensive performance, that really did install some confidence in their offense, and really you look at that play where it's, you really gave L.A. a short field. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna fault Zach Taylor for going for it in that situation because that's what I would have done. And I think if you want to put the blame on anyone, you have to put it on Joe Burrow or or on the Bengals' offense for not executing because that's a makeable play. And you gotta also credit, you know, the Rams for taking advantage. Those are what good teams do. You know, in that situation, I think the Rams would have also gone for it. It's an aggressive play, but it's a play that wins games of this magnitude. And if you ha- you're gonna win, if you're the Bengals, you win this game with your offense, you know. And a fourth and you know, a two should be easy pickings for you in midfield. That's just I the believe it was also it. third and one, and they couldn't they couldn't get. I mean, the Rams also did a really good job on these short third and fourth downs and really stuffing the Bengals' running game when it mattered most. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed like the Bengals had a hard time generating uh, pressure or not pressure penetration at the point of attack. The Bengals? I thought both teams, especially mm-hmm. in the run. I know Mixon did reel off a few nice runs, but I thought... Oh, generating... Was- you mean you mean uh, moving guys. Yeah, it's, I see what you're saying. You mean penetrating the defensive line. Right. Okay, sorry. Th- Whenever I hear penetration, I usually think of the defensive side of the ball. So right. I, like, I mean, I guess as a Steelers fan, you're, you're very defensive-minded. That's true. Our offensive line usually gets penetrated. Our defensive line usually does the penetrating... For the Giants, it's both sides you're getting penetrated. So that that's that, that's fair. Um, I think this the Bengals' offense didn't seem to be able to move the ball methodically. You know, really at, at any consistent point throughout the game, it seemed like the you know when they moved the ball, it was these chunk plays, even you know, ten, fifteen, twenty yards plays, especially to T. Higgins, where that's where you know. That that's where the offense was being generated from. I thought the Rams did a really nice job of, you know, either not allowing the check down or putting pressure so Joe Burrow didn't feel like he could throw the check down. Um, I just thought that 
that was especially an interesting thing to watch in this game because we always knew that the Bengals were going to be explosive, but we never thought it would maybe uh, get almost, too reliant on it. Yeah, hurt them, and I think it did a little bit in this game. It did, and I feel like also the Rams, they did a... Uh, Jamar Chase, obviously, he had a couple of big plays, but I really felt like, as you said, they got so reliant on the deep ball that... Tegan had 100 yards receiving, two touchdowns, good for him, but it was only on four catches. Jamar Chase felt like he didn't get the same amount of volume than he normally does. It seemed like the guy getting the most volume was the running backs slash Tyler Boyd, and even Boyd's catches weren't these, you know, nice chunk plays time after time where they kept going to him. I thought almost they should have gone maybe more to Tyler Boyd because it did seem like they were completing, except for the drop, you know, just some nice six, seven-yard passes over the middle. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it just, it can be hard to kind of... It's obviously easier said than done. Yeah, you know, I think in the Super Bowl, it's, it's difficult to kind of, you know, going through your progressions, not that I've ever played quarterback, but I would imagine that... You, ha- you haven't? No, I mean, you know, I, I dabble a little bit, you know, on the, you know on the, in the touch occasionally. Of course. Um, never really standing in the pocket, you know, watching 300-pound tanks coming at me, but... I think it would, I'd imagine it'd be a little bit more difficult to, you know, on this stage, go through those little, progressions. Little scary, little, you know, gets in your head, maybe just yeah, a little. Yeah, especially, and a lot of these quarterbacks are taught to go, you know, um, top to bottom, kind of looking through those deep routes for seeing if those develop and before going down, there's no intermediate to routes. To check down. And or, I think it depends what system you're in. I think the Bengals probably preached, you know, what I just said. It's definitely a philosophy that I think seeing how this Bengals offense operated over the last few games Definitely something it would seem like that they do. Yeah, and it's not even something that I thought the Rams' defense did. It's more that the way it came together, you know, didn't... Yeah, you said it perfectly. It was They were too reliant on it when it mattered the most. So, Shai, I want to talk about now... We kind of talked about the Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford and maybe their, you know, outlook going forward, and have the NFCs a lot more wide open. Obviously, they kind of already have that Super Bowl in their back pocket. So, although you want to go back-to-back, and you want to maybe build a dynasty and win two out of three or two out of four, it's not like you can't say that this was a disappointment of a team, of a trade for Stafford or Ramsey, because the sole reason why you do it is to win a Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals... I think are obviously overachieved, are, in my mind, in a great position moving forward. But then there's the whole, well, look at the Dolphins with Marino, get to a Super Bowl in his second year, lose. And then you also look at, as we talked about, the AFC could be, like, I'm to get, just to get to the Super Bowl. Much less the AFC North. The AFC North. I do think the AFC North... We don't know what the Steelers are going to be like, and I think there's some questions surrounding the Browns as well, although I do think the Ravens will be better. I think that it's really hard, you know. I don't know. if There might be some stat about how many times a, a team has won this division consecutively, but it's not a lot. I'm, I don't think it has the streak the NFC East does, but I would agree, I would yes. agree with you. Yeah. Um, but I just think... I still think Cincinnati can be a wild card, a consistent wild card team, especially sure. if they build that offensive line with the resources that they have. They have, I believe, the fourth most cap space with about $58 wow. million. They have all their draft picks this year. 
obviously those picks are at the end of each round, but they still have all their picks, which is something that a lot of teams don't have. And in a good draft that has a lot of depth, especially on both the offensive and defensive line. And I think looking at that game, the Super Bowl, I was actually came away impressed with how that front seven played. And I thought about, I've been thinking over these last few days, that that there might not be that many needs as we thought. I think they could use another corner, yeah. especially maybe a, you know, I don't force a draft pick, but I think a, a younger corner uh, who can potentially develop into a number one. And then obviously offensive line, offensive line, and well, probably more offensive linemen is what this team needs the most. Yeah, I I, I really think that's right. And I think you also, you kind of want to, I think defensively you can add more playmakers. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I just I think, think in terms of the best player top available team. needs to be, I think, maybe the most overwhelming priority. But, you know, if you're picking straws, I think the priority's got to go up the offensive line. You can use upgrades at right tackle, guard spots, potentially center as well. Although I, I do want to say if the Bengals bring back, you know, three of these starters or maybe four even – it's not the end of the world. You know, I, I really do th- feel that guys like Quentin Spade, guys like Trey Hopkins in the interior of that line, you know, are made out to be a little bit, you know, are made out to be like the these kind of bums who somehow, you know, go- have gone, you know, them to I this think, point. And I, I don't think, think that's the case. I think e- each of them is fine as maybe your fourth or fifth best offensive lineman. But when you're relying on them as much as the Bengals have as really maybe your second or third best, that's where the concerns come. Yeah, also, you shouldn't have Jackson Carmen having to start. I and think. I do have a question for you because Jonah Williams, premium pick, has also struggled. Do you think he also might be better suited for right tackle? I think it's Do you very... go out and maybe make an aggressive push for a Teron Armstead? Maybe put Armstead at left tackle? Put more of a veteran guy who you know has helped anchor a very good offensive line in New Orleans at left tackle? knows how to block, uh, f- you know, for a guy, obviously Burrow and Breeze are much different, but has blocked for a veteran quarterback, has blocked for an efficient quarterback, maybe put that lead, you know, that leader on and off the field at left tackle. Maybe General Williams is more comfortable at right tackle. Either way, I think a tackle, you need an upgrade at at, at tackle. You know, General Williams is, is one, but you need someone to come in and play the other tackle spot, whether you leave them at left or right. I think pursuing a veteran isn't a bad idea. This offensive line, but maybe it's even more appealing to get out and draft a guy. Considering this offensive line's fairly young, I think. But no, by the way, if they sign a Brandon Sheriff or a Toronto Armstead, I still think they should double dip in the draft. No doubt about it. I just think with where this team is and how really they're not so much rebuilding anymore. I don't think they should solely rely on rookies or second-year players. Sure, I, They need I, more of a veteran presence, guys who have a proven track record, along with some younger players. Right, and I think they can also be seen on the defensive side of the ball. I'd expect the Bengals to be very, very aggressive. Um, but I I think that there's a... It's, it's very hard with a team like this, who we've been saying has overachieved so much, to really be like, oh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They'll be back here again. Or to say, they have all these needs. They're not ever going to get here again. They need and, to do this, this, and that. Well, so there's a not, fine balance, and we don't really know where that's going to And to be lie. honest, I, I, I completely agree. The whole thing where it's, are they never going to get there again, that's, so, that's not so much on their needs, but so much as the gauntlet that they have to go through. 
I, I think I think that's very very fair. As I think, it's I, I'm trying to weigh these two ideas. That on one hand, it's so impressive that they got here with probably one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, and Burrow just a year removed from a torn ACL. Like to get to be at this point in their, you know, what we thought was a rebuilding year and a rebuilding process is so impressive. On the other hand, you look at it again, I bring it up over and over, the Marino situation, you get to a Super Bowl maybe earlier than you expected, you never get back, and I'm not saying that's going to repeat itself with Burrow, but it's just so hard because you can make a case that he's the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the AFC. I... Yeah, I, 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 I'm on the same I'm on the same page with you. Uh I, I I'll watch what they do in the off season very closely. But I think either way you're talking about even if they make the changes or if they don't make the changes, I think I'm probably still talking about them as a fourth third or fourth seed in I, the AFC in a in a team that may not always be the most talented, but a team that always is gonna have a good shot as any to be back. Uh, and I agree with you. Just a lot has to go. We all know a lot has to go right. You can be a great team. You can be the most talented team in the NFL. Usually there still needs to be some luck on your side to get to and win a Super Bowl. And it's so hard for all the pieces to fall into place. Cincinnati, obviously, a lot of that happened. And again, I'm not saying they won't get back. But to go through Mahomes, to go through Allen, I, the Chargers, I the Chargers, I think, are going to be a playoff, playoff team year in and year out with Justin Herbert, or at least they should be. We'll see. I think if Lamar, I think if Lamar Jackson is healthy, the Ravens are going to consistently be a postseason contender. The AFC is only going to get stronger, and none of, and like as we see some of the quarterbacks in the NFC, they're older. We don't know where they're going to go. What do their futures hold? The futures in the AFC quarterbacks right now are pretty much set in stone. Yeah, uh, I I agree. It's gonna be you know a a pretty competitive uh, field. I mean, is there is there any? I mean, I kind of want to. I want to make sure we're still talking about you know the game. The Super Bowl. I know we've kind of. You don't get too sidetracked. You know, I know. It's, I guess uh, just always fun. Yeah, and I'm again. I don't want to get too sidetracked here too. But I know, like probably we were all surprised about will Aaron when we saw that Aaron Donald could retire right if the Reds win the Super Bowl and. He's, I believe, 30. I think he'll be 31 this offseason. He's still so young, but you look at it, he's done everything. Rookie of the year, three-time defensive player of the year, Super Bowl champion, has made two Super Bowls, already regarded as one of the better defensive players who's ever lived. And, you know, I think for our fans' sake, we hope Donald continues to play because what he's doing is truly remarkable. And, but on one hand, you're like, why would he retire when he's at the top of his game? And on the other, you're like, you know, I think to myself, why else, wouldn't he? What else does he have to prove? Right, exactly. He's established that legacy for himself. and He's look. a Hall of Famer if he retires today. And for someone who's only played, I think, eight years to be like probably a first ballot, unanimous Hall of Famer, whatever you want to call it, is extremely impressive. You know, look, we've seen guys do this, guys that have accomplished a lot and their careers retire at the age of 30 or just afterwards because, one, they've established that. But and also, even guys who aren't even as, who right. haven't even accomplished as much as Don has. Right. Keekly, Patrick Willis. Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, obviously. And I think 
you know, the other part of it is, is why not? I mean, we all are rooting for him, and obviously we'll respect his decision either way. But football, the game of football, is demanding of your body. And, you know, to say the least. So if that's the decision he's making, obviously we know Donald is a freak of nature and that he is certainly physically capable of playing, you know, probably another half decade if he wanted to. You have to, you know, say, you have to respect, you know, his decision, you know, what's best for him, what's best for his family, because, you know, with a guy who's already accomplished so much, is it still going to be worth it to him to put his body on the line, you know, even if it is for a team like the Rams, which he obviously has just won a Super Bowl with and, and probably has a special place um, in his heart. And I think I saw he also has you know, young children, so he's obviously going to want to be part of their life, and as they get older and go through their years, he's going to, you know, obviously he probably enjoys playing football and loves being out there with his teammates, but he also doesn't want to miss, you know, the growth of his children and family and wants to be there for all those moments. So I think I would totally understand why he would hang up his cleats. It's just so incredible that at the age of 30, he really has nothing else to prove. Like, you look at even, you know, even Andrew Luck, even Calvin Johnson, even those guys, they never won, you know, they never won a Super Bowl. And, you know, maybe they never won a certain award or whatever. There's really nothing Donald hasn't accomplished at the age of 30 from an NFL standpoint. And it really is mind-boggling to think about. I'm yeah. weird, and I know it's it's a wide range, but I just try to think, like, where does he rank among all-time defenders if he announced today he would he would retire? I mean, you probably have to think of him as being uh, definitely top 20. And maybe even, t- I mean, for for guys, you know, on the defensive line, definitely top 10, for sure. Right. And I think, like, you're putting Taylor, Lawrence Taylor, over him. You're putting Reggie White over him. I would probably put Joe Green. And, you know, maybe after those Two or three, I think then we have a conversation. I would probably, I might still put a guy like Bruce Smith, maybe, maybe a Deacon Jones, but there's definitely room for debate. And if we're talking about a peak, like, you know, the best of a peak career, not necessarily the overall long term career, you can make a case that Donald's eight year peak is right up there with anyone. Maybe not, maybe not Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White. Potentially Joe Green, but other than those two or three players, you can make a case that his peak is right up there with every with anyone. And I and, and I would wholeheartedly, you know, agree with that. And uh, he he's a force. He's a force. Yes, he is. It's 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 mind boggling to think about Aaron Down and what he's accomplished. So shy. This is kind of going to wrap it up. The final podcast of, of the season. Obviously, we're going to we're going to talk about free agency in the draft and future podcasts. Of topics that we always find... the most exciting things, uh, especially for for you know fans like yourself, Alex. For Giants fans, is that what you wanted to say? Yes, Giants fans. Well, I'll say with Joe Shane in place, I'm I'm more optimistic than I usually am. That's how good. About, how about that way? I think your expectations are also higher too. So that's. Um, that could that could that could go one of two ways. At the same time, my expectations were like non-existent before this off season, so you know it's there was only one way to go with re- regarding them. Fair, fair. So, Shai, do you have any kind of last thoughts on the Super Bowl or really the two thousand twenty one two thousand twenty two NFL season? I think the one word that comes to mind is satisfying. Um, 
you know, I think this was a great season. It gave us everything I think we could have wanted. You know, two teams in the Super Bowl that, you know, overcame adversary, adversity. We weren't sure, you know, if they were going to be there. And, you know, maybe the game wasn't the most exciting thing in the world, but it had a good ending, just like the se- just like the you know this season and above all, you know it gave us what you know what we could all we could have asked for and it was satisfying. That's how I would describe the season, and I'm uh, looking forward to another one. I don't know if there's a certain play or specific game that will go down in history from this postseason that we've seen in the past. Yeah. You know, there's no like you know a game that would be named for a certain play. I don't know. Bill's Chiefs seems seems pretty, yeah. But I just think this might go down as one of the greatest postseasons we've ever seen. Right. Uh, that, we've, I will... I, I'm almost at shame for not mentioning that. You're absolutely right. The, we've... And again, you know, it's, I haven't been alive for every NFL postseason. So, although I can't speak on, you know, to every postseason, it really... You look at it, it's really been a memorable postseason that, you know, if you were alive for this postseason, if you, you know, were actively watching, it's a postseason that we'll probably never forget as fans. And it, whenever it felt like that one week wasn't going to live up to the previous, it somehow, some way, maybe not topped it, but at least lived up to it as it, it's a postseason that we'll never forget. And I feel like even if it wasn't the most well-played game, it had an exciting ending, which I feel like, you know, when it comes to the Super Bowl, it's all you can ask for. As Shy, one more thing I wanted to say is uh, the people who retired this year, you look at Sean Payton potentially, Ben Roethlisberger, and obviously Tom Brady. Five years from now, that Hall of Fame class is going to be something else. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, some of the best you know, to ever do it and. uh and then you even look at, you know, last year, guys, like Drew Brees retired. Like, you look at four or five years from now, we're going to have some historically great quarterbacks and just overall names go into, the, go into Canton. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think about kind of we grew up, you know, with these guys playing and we've now seen them, you know, departing, you know, as some of the best to ever do it. And uh, it's coming full circle and, and it's special. And... and 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 with these guys retiring, it you know for your Steelers for the Buccaneers in a way it, it opens up new chapters chapters that are filled with unknown and stuff that it's exciting it's exciting to see new faces Absolutely. and yeah, obviously it's you know it's fun to see some of those players play but it's also gonna be fun to see you know the new look Bucks or the new look Steelers or the same look Giants <laughs> <laughs> so. That's going to do it for this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed our full season of coverage of the 2021-22 NFL season. Continue to kind of be on the lookout for some of our podcasts. We'll come out with, you know, f- covering free agency, the draft. We'll be re- releasing our own mock drafts when the time comes. So kind of be on the lookout for all that. Just because the NFL season's over doesn't mean our coverage is. We'll see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed this great NFL season. And we'll see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.